and welcome to Buffy and the Art of Story Season 4. If you love Buffy the Vampire Slayer and you love creating stories or just taking them apart to see how they work, you're in the right place. Today we are talking about Season 4, Episode 5, Beer Bad, where Buffy, still getting over Parker, drinks way too much beer, and it has very unexpected consequences. I am Lisa M. Lilly, novelist and founder of writingasasecondcareer.com. If you enjoy detective mysteries or supernatural thrillers, check out my free ebooks at lisalilly.com slash free. As to Beer Bad, today I'll talk about what happens when you don't have an antagonist who actively opposes your protagonist. Two metaphors that don't quite land and send the theme of the episode astray. Parallel characters who behave in contrasting ways and a bit of a fake out for the climax. There will be no spoilers except at the end to talk about foreshadowing, but I'll give you plenty of warning. Okay, let's dive into the hellmouth. Beer Bad aired on November 2, 1999 for the first time. It was written by Tracy Forbes and directed by David Solomon. We start with an opening conflict that in itself is a bit of a fake out. Our opening conflict is there to draw the reader or viewer into the story, and sometimes it relates to the main plot, sometimes to a subplot, and sometimes it is completely separate. Here it relates to the main emotional conflict of the episode, which I think is a subplot, although again, as with some other episodes this season, it is hard to say whether the supernatural plot or the emotional plot is the main plot. Buffy is fighting a vampire outside at night. Parker is there. Remember Parker? How could you forget him? He says, Buffy, and Buffy sees him and says, Parker, stay down. She keeps fighting. There's some great acrobatics. She saves Parker, and she is amazing. The music in the background is more techno-pop than usual. It's a booming, faster beat. But otherwise, this scene seems fairly real. And Parker thanks her afterwards and apologizes and asks if she could forgive him for how he treated her. And we switch to class. Buffy is watching Parker whisper to another girl. So she has been daydreaming as Professor Walsh lectures, talking about the id and how it wants what it wants and it wants it now. She goes on about the pleasure principle that whatever social skills we've learned, however much we've evolved, the pleasure principle is at work in all of us. And we switch to another daydream. Buffy is once again fighting, being even more amazing. Now when Parker apologizes, he also has ice cream in one hand and flowers in the other and we cut to the credits. So I'll talk a bit about or more than a bit about theme and metaphor in this episode and we have Professor Walsh articulating one of the themes about the id and the pleasure principle. At 3 minutes 37 seconds in, we return after credits. Buffy and Willow are studying at a table outside. Xander joins them and he says, rough day, and flicks a lighter on and holds it toward Buffy. She ignores him and he says, come on, Buff, be a lonely drunk. He tries again and Buffy says, stop flicking at me. Xander tells them he's finally part of their college life. He's the new bartender at the nearby pub. He has his lighter, his rag, and his empathy face. Willow comments that he's too young, but Xander has gotten a fake ID. Willow is a lot of fun here, she says, after looking at mustached Xander in the photo. I don't believe this is entirely on the up and up. Xander says, what gives it away? And Willow responds, looking at it. Buffy points out that Xander will also need to know things like how to make drinks. And Xander says he's seen Cocktail, which is uh, the Tom Cruise movie, and he can do the hippie hippie shake. We are now getting to about 10% through the episode at 4 minutes 
37 seconds, Buffy tells Xander that even if she had a pretend cigarette, she can't tell him her pretend problems because real ones are taking up all her headspace. Normally around here, in any story, not just Buffy, we see the inciting incident or what I think of as the story spark that gets the main plot rolling. It is a little difficult to pick out here, which in the run of Buffy is pretty unusual. Normally, we see a pretty strong story spark. Here, I am not seeing it. Xander sits down to listen to Buffy. He flicks the lighter again, holds it out again, and says, rough day, do you want to talk about it? But he's still doing that kind of over-exaggerated fake voice. Buffy says she needs to go to class. Xander asks Willow and Buffy if they'll come to the pub tonight, but Willow has a date with Oz at the Bronze. So this I see as the inciting incident because Buffy coming to the pub is why she sees Parker there and ends up drinking beer that night, which sets off the story in the sense of that's how Buffy becomes involved with it. So it it is here, it's just a bit later than 10%, and it is kind of subtle. You have to really parse it out here because Buffy doesn't agree right here to go to the pub. In fact, she doesn't answer at all. As the three of them walk, she starts talking again about Parker, and maybe he's just having trouble dealing, and she asks, don't some guys keep the girls they really, really like in a sort of bubble? And Xander says, how's the fugue state coming along? But Buffy just continues on how maybe Parker will realize he really does want to be with her. And we do have some more great willow here, she says. Buffy, that is my best friend, you need to think about not Parker. He's no good. And Willow tells her there are better men where the mind is stronger than the penis. And in a loud, cartoony voice, Xander says, nothing can defeat the penis. And then he backs off and says, oh, that was too loud. I thought this was another Tom Cruise movie reference, which is what sent me to doing a little research. But apparently it's not. It's just Xander trying to be funny. Buffy, though, is still pretty much ignoring him and insists that Parker can be really sweet and she thinks he has intimacy problems because of the death of his father. I feel for her because I can remember, particularly at that age and and later than that as well, that kind of, oh, you know, there's he has intimacy problems or all these analytic reasons that my friends and I would go over relationships and why is the guy acting this way instead of just saying, hey, this is not happening. Maybe the guy's a jerk. Maybe he's not interested. Whatever it is, just move on. It is no help to psychoanalyze. And Willow, I think, has already gotten there because she is unimpressed and tells Buffy she will have to tell her problems to the fake bartender. And Xander says the bartender's always ready to listen. And then we have a fun cut to a noisy bar where Xander is saying, what? because he can't hear his customers. They are three deep, they're all saying their orders, and poor Xander looks so overwhelmed. I remember my first day, uh, my first official job, I was a cashier at a discount store, and it was overwhelming. And these students, they're rude. One of them says, do I have to write it down for you? Xander takes an order for ice water and says, do you want that on the rocks? Buffy enters the bar. She looks around and sees Parker in a booth with yet another girl. She's still watching him as she moves sideways toward the bar and runs right into Riley, spilling part of his beer. Buffy apologizes. They both joke around a bit about him taking up a lot of space because Riley is quite tall. He asks if she's looking for someone, and she says she just saw Parker over there. Riley comments on Parker being with a new conquest and continues, you know, that boy should have his attention span checked. And Buffy says he's kind of a girl chaser, huh? And Riley responds, sets them up and knocks them down. I guess maybe I'm old-fashioned, but my father always said, if you want to be a gentleman, you... And he takes a breath and he sees Buffy looking away and finishes, don't even care what my father says. 
Buffy looks back at him and apologizes and asks what he was saying. And Riley is really nice about it. He tells her, oh, you know, forget it. I've got some people waiting for me, and I'll see you later. I like Riley here because he notices when he has lost Buffy. And instead of continuing on with what he was saying, he realizes this is not a conversation that interests her. And he goes on and lets her go about her way. Buffy looks back at Parker again. And at eight minutes, six seconds in, now he's kissing the girl. We cut to Xander clearing away empty pitchers. He sees two girls or young women talking. He holds out his lighter and says, rough day. The blonde Paula turns around and tells him, no, it's been a great day. And they just accepted a new pledge. And she's excited because the new sorority pins arrived and she designed them herself. I like her. She's friendly with Xander and very relaxed. And she appreciates it when he is impressed by her design skills. But then this frat guy comes up and tells her she should let Xander get back to work. Xander says he's due for a break, but the guy is a total jerk and sarcastically says something like, oh, sounds like they were having a meaningful conversation. He wants to know what it was, and he says possibly debating the geopolitical ramifications of bioengineering. Paula lightly smacks him on the arm, telling him not to be a jerk. The frat boy asks if Xander has a take on that, the geopolitical thing. Xander responds, I've got beer at 9.12 minutes in. The guy says he'll take a pitcher of Black Frost, but he just can't let it go. So he continues babbling on, using all this jargon about they should do an experiment. Given the socioeconomic status of Xander and Paula, he perceives an attraction-rejection dyad. Xander looks puzzled, and the guy clarifies. You see, we are the future of this country, and you keep the bowl of peanuts full. At this point, in retaliation, Xander wants to see an ID, but the owner walks by behind him and says, just give him a beer. Xander slams the beer steins on the bar and walks away. But he sees Buffy looking sad and says, Buffy, rough day, want to tell me about it? And this time, it is not a joke, it's not overdone, it is genuine. This is a good example of the use of a three-beat, a line that is said three different times in three different ways, and the last time turns it on its head so that it is very different. And here it is Xander practicing his line, trying it for real, at the sorority girl at the bar and then genuinely asking how Buffy is and if she needs to talk. Buffy tells him it turns out that Parker's problem with intimacy is he can't get enough of it. And I like that this finally hits Buffy and she stops trying to analyze her way out of it or think that he is something different than what he is. But she goes on to blame herself, saying she knew what he was. In a few, in another minute, she'll call herself a slut and an idiot. Probably also common for a lot of people when something doesn't work out or we feel we've been deceived to blame ourselves. And she goes on to say, if he were tied and gagged and left in a cave that vampires frequent, it wouldn't really be like her killing him, would it? Xander, when she calls herself an idiot, tells her not to be so hard on herself. His boss, though, yells at him to get back to work so he can't keep talking. Buffy tells him it's okay, this has helped, though that's doubtful from her expression. But when she turns away from the bar to leave, she bumps into another guy, also spilling some of his beer, and she apologizes and says she seems to be bumping into people today. He says he can't imagine anybody minding. When it comes out that she's about to leave, he tells her to stay, joking, we have a very strict policy against you leaving. And he is um, light and he's joking. And it feels like just what Buffy needs right now, even though the jerky fraternity guy who was plaguing Xander 
joins him, but he is nice to Buffy and two other guys join them as well. And they say she should be, she's beautiful and she should be covered in men and not be sad. And somehow the the way they play it and act it, it doesn't feel creepy. It doesn't even really feel like they're hitting on her. It feels like for Buffy, she enjoys this for the moment. It makes her feel better to have these guys wanting her to hang out with them. And she sees Parker leave with a girl, and she takes the beer one of them offers her. We are nearly 12 minutes through, and it's a little more than one quarter through the episode. I see this as what I think of as the one quarter twist, because in novels in particular, it almost always comes a quarter of the way through a first major plot turn that comes from outside the protagonist, spins the story in a new direction, and raises the stakes. And we have all of that here because this is completely outside Buffy. She doesn't know these guys. And certainly the effect the beer will have comes from outside her. That is what takes it in a new direction. And it takes the emotional plot in a new direction because Buffy is starting to get over Parker. And it takes the supernatural plot and spins it, though we don't know that as viewers yet. We don't know there's anything with the beer. And it raises the stakes because now there will be danger from these guys eventually. To this point... On this watch, I enjoyed the episode much more than I expected to. And it's a bit of the flip of some other episodes where I think I will like them more and don't. Now, that could be because of low expectations. But I do think the first half, at least, is pretty well structured. And if you just watch it for the emotional journey Buffy goes on, I really like it. There are also some very interesting character things that I will get to. For now, we switch to the bronze. Oz joins Willow at a table and he says, hey, you got a table. And Willow says, I had to kill a man. And Oz says, well, it's a really good table. She tells him she copied notes for him for psych class since he missed it. The music starts playing and Oz looks down and says he feels. And then he cuts off and says it's nothing. They turn their attention to the stage where a young woman will find out his name, Veruca, is singing. And if you remember, there was this young woman that passed Oz on campus. They crossed paths and both looked back at each other as if not quite they recognized each other, but that there was something that drew them to each other. And this is that young woman. Oz, seeing her on stage, is riveted. Willow notices. She offers to go back to his place and make him some soup if he's not feeling well. He turns his head to look at her, but at first seems confused, like he can't figure out why she's saying that. And then he says, no, he's fine, and looks at the stage again. Willow asks if Oz knows the singer, and he says something like, Veruca? Nobody knows who she is. He hasn't met her. He knows the drummer, and he's not heard the band play before. And he again stares at Veruca. At 14 minutes, 7 seconds in, we switch back to Buffy. The guys are saying chug, 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 chug as she drinks. The guy I'll call the main frat guy, the one who who was being so awful to Xander, he's going on with more and more jargon, but then he ends with a joke that all these philosophical problems can be solved with beer. Buffy comments her mom always said beer was evil. And he says, evil, good, these are all moral absolutes that predate the fermentation of malt. The other guys join in when he loses his train of thought. One of them mentions Thomas Aquinas. Another uh, throws something at him, and they argue. Xander watches from the bar, and Buffy says, you guys really like to hear yourselves speak, don't you? I love that Buffy, though clearly slightly buzzed, is still Buffy, and she makes this point, and while she's joking with them, she really means this. This is one of the first where I see this really interesting contrast here, because we have two characters, Buffy and Xander, who encounter these guys, or at least the main one. With Xander, he's using all this jargon to put Xander down because he feels like Xander won't follow it. It'll emphasize the divide between them. It's his way of trying to be dominant. With 
Buffy, he's doing it to impress her. So different based on who they are talking to and what they want. He wanted to put Xander down with Buffy. For the most part, I don't feel like these guys are hitting on her, but they definitely like her and find her pretty. Then when we look at it, and compare Xander and Buffy. Buffy recognizes what they're doing. Maybe not that they're trying to impress her or that they do this to put people down, but that they just love to hear themselves talk. This kind of jargon doesn't impress her. She's not seriously putting them down for it, but she is pointing it out. Like, hey, I see what you're doing here. You guys just like to, you like to hear yourselves. And you contrast that to Xander, who did feel put down by it. It's not that he doesn't follow this philosophical babble because Xander's dumb or uneducated. It's the guy's a jerk. Xander knows the guy's a jerk. I think the difference is it works on Xander because of how he already feels in relation to these guys. Back to the frat guys. One of them says they're losing Buffy. So the main one asks her, what does she like? And she says she doesn't hate this, meaning the beer, for a start. It seems like they are all having fun and Buffy needs this right now. If you are enjoying the podcast and would like to see it continue, please leave a review wherever you listen or tell a friend about the show or post on social media. You can also support Buffy and the Art of Story by supporting me on Patreon. There is a link in the show notes or you can go to lisalily.com slash Patreon. And you will get access to bonus content. I just recorded a bonus section about the things that we've been hearing about the creator Joss Whedon and how he treated actors on Angel and Buffy. I'm talking about it solely from how that might affect how we view these stories. And it should be there on Patreon now through the magic of time travel by the time you listen to this. We now switch to daytime again. Willow is making fun to herself of Veruca and Oz's conversation the night before when Veruca called Willow a groupie. Willow does this as she walks into the dorm room and asks Buffy if she's ever heard of this Veruca chick. Here is another interesting character comparison because earlier we had the frat guys treating Xander differently, the lead frat guy, because Xander, mainly because Xander was talking to either the guy's girlfriend or someone he thought should be his girlfriend. So he saw Xander as a rival and had to put him down. And here we get through Willow a feeling of that same thing happening that maybe Veruca referring to her as a groupie was doing the same thing. So we have that Willow-Veruca rivalry. And we don't usually see a ton of that in Buffy. So I, I find it interesting here. If you see it all the time, I'm not a fan of stories that put in particular girls or women in competition with one another for the attention of a romantic partner. I, I feel like we have so many stories about girls and women being rivals and it's all about usually getting the guy rather than exploring other kinds of relationships. But since we don't do it all the time in Buffy, I do sort of enjoy seeing it here. Buffy, though, is not really listening to Willow. She's sitting on the floor in her pajamas, staring at people on the TV who are singing, and she says something about TV being a good thing, bright colors, tiny little people, and Willow asks her what she has done with Buffy. Buffy says she's suffering the after effects of a bad night of badness. Willow thinks she means she was with Parker again, and Buffy says no, with four really smart guys. Because Buffy's not very clear, she and Willow have a short misunderstanding where Willow thinks it's group sex. Buffy laughs and calls her something like gutter face and tells her no, just a lot of beer. Before they go to class, Willow has to remind Buffy to get dressed first. 
At class, Professor Walsh says they're moving on to personality types and disorders, and she says something like, those of you who have done the reading. Buffy waves her hand and says, Willow did the reading. Professor Walsh says that's fine and continues. Later in class, Buffy sees a girl eating a sandwich, and Buffy grabs it from her and starts eating it herself. Interesting sandwich theme here in the end of Living Conditions. Willow did that, and Buffy was quite upset. At 18 minutes in, the scene switches to a bunch of test tubes with different colored liquids bubbling in them. We see them drip into a barrel labeled Black Frost, which was the name of the beer that everyone was drinking. And the scene cuts to Buffy watching as beer is poured from a pitcher into her glass. Buffy and the frat boys now all seem pretty drunk. They're all talking in very short syllables. And Xander, again, watches from the bar, and he ignores this pretty young woman who says she's having the worst day and asks if he has a light. He holds up a no-smoking coaster sign at her, and she sighs in disgust. I enjoy this moment. It feels a little off because we already had the three beat and this really would be the subversion of it. I guess you could see it as a three beat at the bar alone because then it would be Xander trying it out on the first young woman from the sorority and you know, getting a response. She didn't have a bad day, but she talks with him. Then with Buffy, he genuinely asks about her day. She shares with him and here, despite all his practicing this to meet girls and talk to them he just ignores her because he is concerned about his friend at the table the main frat guy says he likes girls and he pounds his fist on the table Buffy calls him stupid and they all call each other stupid and one guy falls off a chair We're at 19 minutes, 31 seconds in, and we are with Willow in the hallway at the dorm. Oz walks up behind her. She asks how he's feeling because he wasn't in class again today, but he says he's fine. He was practicing, and then he tells her that Shy is playing again tonight at the Bronze, and he clarifies it's Veruca's band. They asked Oz to sit in. He thinks it would be great if Willow could be there. Willow responds to Veruca shows in two nights. You sure you want to share your groupie? And she's not over sarcastic, but we can tell she's not thrilled. And she tells Oz she's going to study because of the fun. I thought she was referring to studying there, like joking all this work and, the, and, and calling it fun. But Oz seems to take it as she is saying it wouldn't be fun for her to hang out and just watch him play. And he says he can see where it might be dull for her. There's this very awkward moment, and then Willow just says, see ya, and walks the other way. At 20 minutes, 20 seconds in, Buffy and the guys are the only ones left in the bar. They're all sort of slumping on the table, laughing, still calling each other stupid. Xander turns on the jukebox, which draws Buffy over. She seems not to recognize what it is, and she climbs on it, tells him she wants more beer. Xander says he cut her off. She asks if it hurt. He then picks her up and carries her toward the door. She is kind of half resisting, saying she wants more beer, beer good. And Xander tells her, beer bad, 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 bad. For the most part, Buffy's pretty agreeable and she heads out the door. We have reached the middle of the episode. If you have been listening for a while, you know that here I look for either a major commitment to the quest by the protagonist or the protagonist suffering a serious reversal. Because in really strongly plotted stories with a lot of momentum, that is what we typically see. And here is where the episode, uh, I guess it's a little before this when we repeat the frat boys with the calling each other stupid thing. But this is around where the episode really starts to flag for me. There is still some great stuff to come, but I feel like the structure here, in addition to some of the other things, just isn't there because we don't have any sort of Buffy committing to anything. In fact, She's kind of passive. Xander tells her to go home out of concern for her, and and she goes home. And there isn't at this moment any sort of reversal for her or anyone. 
We switch at 21 minutes 56 seconds in to Willow. She is going into what I guess is the student union and she sees Parker standing there and she goes over to his table, stands in front of him, crosses her arms and says she wants to give him a piece of her mind. I'm tired of you men and your manness. She tells him Buffy's really hurting. In fact, she's in need of a big, quote, mental tidy, unquote. So I like this scene overall, this scene and, and the next one, because it's, it's going to be broken into a couple scenes. This line, though, I, I don't know why, it just does not feel like Willow to me. The other thing is when it comes to the structure of the story, we really have Willow making that commitment here, sort of throwing caution to the wind. She is going to confront Parker. If this were a story about Willow helping her friend get over Parker and Willow is essentially the protagonist, this would be a great midpoint. And it does come right about there in the episode. But it's it's not that story. Willow is one of many pieces, so it, it doesn't give the story that momentum. Also, a subplot can have and should have its own plot points, and often a really good subplot will have that commitment or that major reversal. It might not come exactly in the middle of the story as a whole, but generally is somewhat in the middle of the subplot. The issue here, though, with that is Willow and Oz are not quite a subplot here. They are, but it is part of a running season subplot. Also, a strong midpoint, it is a deliberate choice or action by the protagonist. And here, as we'll see, Willow is talking not just about Buffy and Parker, but about herself and Oz. But it's not really throwing caution to the wind to confront Parker. It would be throwing caution to the wind to confront Oz. Parker pretends he doesn't know what Willow means. Willow tells him Buffy shared something very intimate and he acted like it was nothing more than a bag of some kind of snack food. Parker says, Willow, I'm not sure I need to explain my actions to you, but if that's what you want, and I love this, Willow says, yes, followed by an omission of undeniable guilt. But go on. Parker, looking very serious and deep, says that some relationships center on deep emotional ties, but most of them, according to Parker, are two people passing briefly. And just for one night, can't two people who feel an attraction, quote, come together and create something wonderful, end quote, and then go back to their lives without overanalyzing it or wanting it to be more. He has done that and Buffy should too. Now Willow does have some awareness that she is also upset about Oz because she says people like Buffy and her feel like intimacy means something and she says people shouldn't have to ask are you going to be eyeing other prospects tomorrow. Parker responds People shouldn't have to preface casual sex with, just so you know, I'll never grow any older with you. He argues it takes the fire out of it. Willow says maybe. Now Parker tells her he doesn't regret what happened, but he's sorry Buffy's hurting. And he says, quote, if I misled her, I'm sorry for that too. I didn't mean to. I'm impressed that you care so much about her. You are a good friend. Such a classic non-apology apology. Now we switch to Xander. We're at 24 minutes, 51 seconds in. He is telling the frat boys that he needs them to settle up about the bill. The main frat guy leaves to go to the bathroom and the other guys throw some money on the table, which Xander takes. And then I do enjoy this. He claims that he's always had a problem calculating the tip. They're so brainy. Maybe they can help him out. And if people usually tip 30%, that makes the tip what? And they all are way too drunk and they just slide a bunch of bills over to him, more money, in a pile. And he tells them it is so the right amount. Then there are loud noises from the restroom and the frat guy comes out, but now his hair is long, his brow is heavy, and he knocks Xander out. So this is over 26 minutes in, so well past the midpoint. Episodes are typically 42, 43 minutes long. This is a pretty major reversal that this guy is now a caveman, that he knocks Xander out. It is not even here, a direct reversal to Buffy, 
though we can certainly see how it could be. So maybe this would have worked better if we had this before the Willow Parker scene, because at least we would have had that sense that, oh, hey, something dangerous is happening. The other thing is... I'm not worried at this moment about Buffy because switching to Parker and Willow gave me the sense that a fair amount of time passed since Buffy left. So in my mind, she's already back at the dorm and she's fine and not in any immediate danger from these guys. Where if this happened right after she left, we might feel more of that sense of it potentially being a reversal for Buffy. Of course, we are concerned about other students on campus as well, but typically at a midpoint, you you want it to be a very direct reversal affecting the protagonist. We cut to a commercial, come back, Xander is still on the floor, the cave guy is grunting at him and pounds his chest, the other frat boys are nervous they're wanting to leave, but now they change too on camera, turning into cavemen. Xander comes to, they close in on him, and he flicks his lighter at them and says, fire bad, fire angry, and they run off, and he shuts the door. Xander now runs into the back room. He says to the owner, Jack, there's a problem. The guys are turning into cavemen, and Jack says, they had it coming. We switch to the cavemen. They're running through campus. They're hooting. They're eating leaves and branches. This is really where the episode falls apart for me. I am not, and I know I'm not supposed to be, I'm not at all invested in these guys. And the problem with that is is it makes them dull. I, I don't have any real interest in following them. And it's partly, yeah, it's, it's sort of a goofy plot device, but Buffy often makes that work. The reason I think it doesn't here is... There's no motive that we can see. Why did that first frat guy club Xander? I guess it could go back to him remembering seeing Xander as a rival. But now they're outside. um, They're hooting. He, I think it's the same guy, clubs one of his friends and knocks him out. For no reason we can see. And my question is, okay, are we saying this is how cave people acted? I don't know that there's evidence for that, that they just sort of randomly ran around and terrorized each other. I guess what we're saying, since the analogy is to beer, that alcohol makes people do that. But I'll have some thoughts on that in a few minutes. For now, we go back to Jack and Xander. We have another parallel between two characters going on. Jack says how he's been taking abuse from these snot-nosed kids for 20 years, and he says, drinking their fruity little microbrews and spouting out some philosophy like it means a damn thing, thinking they're different from us. And Xander's pretty funny. He says they are now. Jack tells him beer is the great equalizer, and Jack explains that his brother-in-law is a warlock and showed him how to do it, and it's neat, and Xander says it's not neat. He served them that beer, and then he says he served Buffy that beer. But Jack tells him, relax, it'll wear off in a day or two. And Xander says, in a day or so, someone could get killed. At 29 minutes, 21 seconds in, Xander continues, you're a bad, bad man. So while this is supposed to be a light episode, I feel like we missed a little bit of an opportunity here to explore differences between Xander and Jack. The frat guys similarly abuse both of them. Xander, though, feels differently. Jack's view is they had it coming, and he sees himself aligned with Xander. Jack probably, he more clearly sees that these guys spouting all their jargon, it doesn't mean anything. Um, He's also been putting up with it for 20 years. So those are a couple differences between them, but there's a lot about socioeconomics here in the dialogue, and they probably have that similar background. But while Jack is like, hey, they had it coming, Xander is appalled. Now, maybe he's less worried about the guys than what the guys might do, but he is concerned about the larger responsibility. He feels responsible just because he served them the beer. There's an added layer that he realizes he served it to Buffy, too, so she is in direct danger. But even before that, he's concerned about the larger community in a way that Jack is not because 
because Xander correctly perceives that these guys could do a lot of damage. And that is where the metaphor to alcohol consumption works the best for me because excess drinking in a day or two can do a lot of damage. I've talked a little before about my personal experience that my parents were killed by an intoxicated driver. The fact that he was just drinking that day didn't mean that he posed no danger. He killed two people. He started drinking, I think the record showed, four hours before the crash. Also, in the criminal defense work I've done and the criminal defense lawyer I've worked with, he tells me an awful lot of his cases Alcohol is involved. People become more violent. Some people with alcohol, there's more abuse issues, there are more fights, and more people get killed. So that metaphor to some extent works, but then it falters because for one thing, not everybody becomes that way when they drink to excess. So it doesn't quite line up, which undercuts our theme. Also, We don't want our protagonist, Buffy, who has also been drinking a lot, to do anything dire. We don't want to see Buffy kill someone by mistake, although the episode will kind of flirt with that. But it makes the metaphor less powerful because we are not going to that place with our protagonist. Going back to our cave guys, cars come down the street. They are a little confused by them. One guy walks in the street and gets hit. A student gets out of his car, sees the cave guys, and run off. Three of them start to chase him, but then they stop and beat on the car. At 30 minutes, 27 seconds in, Xander and Giles are rounding the corner in the dorm. Xander tells Giles that Buffy didn't have that much to drink. Giles can't believe that Xander served her the beer. And Xander says, I didn't know it was evil. And Giles responds, you knew it was beer. And Xander says, well, excuse me, mister, I spent the 60s in an electric Kool-Aid funky Satan groove. And Giles tells him it was the 70s and you know better. But good point, Xander. The dialogue is telling us Giles thinks serving Buffy any beer was dangerous and evil. It's a very heavy-handed sort of message. And it's ironic because you probably know this episode was written either the show got funding or was trying to get funding for a government anti-drug and anti-alcohol campaign, and it didn't end up getting it. So we got this heavy-handed beer bad theme, literally. And the people who wrote the grant said, this isn't about beer, it's about magic, and rejected it. And my first thought was, well, they don't understand metaphor. But then I, as I looked at this episode, I thought, oh, maybe they do. And they realized the metaphor doesn't quite land. Anyway, we are reaching about three quarters through the episode. There we typically see our last major plot turn. It should grow from the midpoint this time rather than coming from outside the protagonist and take the plot in another new direction. If you are finding this podcast helpful and you want to learn more about story structure or are looking for information about writing or publishing, you can check out the articles on writingasasecondcareer.com. You can also find free story structure worksheets there or through the link in the show notes. So at 30 minutes, 42 seconds in, Buffy is in her room drawing on the wall. Her hair is all stringy. She pounds on a stick figure on the wall and says, Parker, bad. This does build on her drinking so much beer, so it roughly corresponds to the midpoint and comes out of it. If this had been structured slightly differently, this three-quarter turn would work fairly well. It takes us in a new direction because now Buffy has both Slayer strength and presumably the id or sensibilities of a cave person. And that seems to be what we are seeing about cave people that they embody the id that professor walsh mentioned in the beginning that pleasure-seeking principle again i'm not sure 
there is actual evidence for that, but this is what the world of the story is positing. We switch back to Parker and Willow. I do enjoy Willow quite a bit here. Parker, still being very serious and deep, says he doesn't like to brag, but he does get to know a lot of women, and he hasn't found the one yet. And then he says, Willow, can I tell you something kind of private? Willow says, okay. She's looking serious and intrigued. She says, what is it you wanted to tell me? And Parker says, just that, and he touches her hand, I've enjoyed talking with you here tonight. And Willow says, you know, I'm wondering something about you. Parker responds, what? And Willow says, just how gullible do you think I am? I mean, with your gentle eyes and your shy smile and your ability to talk openly. And she goes on that this is not connecting. It's not intimacy. It's just the pleasure principle. All he's thinking is how to jump her bones. And men haven't changed since the dawn of time. This is a slightly different metaphor. We are separating it from beer and going directly to that idea of, I guess, that all men are like this. All men, um, because she says, I've got your number, id boy. They're all motivated by the id. Does this part of the metaphor work? At the moment, this is definitely how Willow feels. But at the same time, we're shown Giles, even in this episode, Xander is not motivated by this. In fact, he abandons his quest to draw girls or women in with his bartender routine to be concerned for his friend. And Jack, for that matter, is motivated entirely differently. He's not acting out of the pleasure principle that I can see. He's wanting revenge. I guess you could say that relates to the id. But having these different men here that we spend some time with that don't fit this metaphor also undercuts it to some extent. So this line, men haven't changed since the dawn of time. Of course, then these cave guys burst in to the student union. We also could see this as the three-quarter turn, the last major turn in the story, because this is the first time these guys are directly presenting a danger to one of our main characters. This scene falters for the same reason as the others with the cavemen because we don't know why these guys are acting this way. They do have a couple girls with them. I don't believe I ever noticed that before until I looked at it for this. Parker and Willow get in the way of the cavemen who knock both of them out. We switch to Giles and Xander watching Buffy entertain herself by spinning on a chair. Xander makes the mistake of saying, Jack said the effects of the beer would wear off. So Buffy starts demanding more beer, and when Giles tells her she can't have it, she glares at him and says, want beer. And Xander says, Giles, don't make Cave Slayer unhappy. Buffy pounds her chest, pushes Giles, and runs out. Xander runs after her. We're back to the cave guys. For whatever reason, they have built a fire. They were afraid of it before. I'm not sure if maybe somehow the fire happened accidentally, but I I don't think so. Anyway, there's a fire. They're hooting and yelling and waving their clubs. Willow is still unconscious on the floor, and we cut to a commercial. We come back. The fire is getting out of control. Xander is outside yelling for Buffy. He finds her and says, it's good she can't find any beer. Freshman girl not able to hold the beer shouldn't have it. Which isn't really the issue. It's not that Buffy can't hold the beer. It's that it was enchanted. So maybe this is more evidence that the people who were writing the grant were correct in saying that this is not really an episode about overconsumption of alcohol. Buffy sniffs the smoke in the air, says fire bad, and runs in the direction of the smoke. The cave guys are still hooting. They pull Willow away from the fire. Buffy runs in. We're almost 37 minutes in. She sees the flames. She grabs a fire extinguisher but can't figure out what to do with it and ends up just throwing it. She sees Willow. She dives over the flames, goes to Willow. Outside, Xander runs to the student union down the stairs, yells for Buffy, doesn't see her, runs out. We're back to Buffy. She sees a window. She leaps up, grabbing onto pipes in the ceiling to swing over and kick it open. 
I am not sure it is a great idea to get more air into the fire, but I guess they they do need a way out. The cave guys put furniture in front of it, climb out. The other girls get out. Buffy takes Willow, who is starting to come to over her shoulder and starts climbing up. And from the other side, outside, Xander pulls Willow through the window. And the cave guys are there as well, and he tells them to stay. So now we are reaching what should be the climax. That is where our opposing forces have their final clash and resolve the conflict. Buffy is still inside. She sees Parker coughing. There are flames everywhere. The climax is supposed to be the antagonist and protagonist facing off. But who or what is the antagonist here? The antagonist has one job, to actively oppose the protagonist. In an emotional sense, has Parker done that here? I mean, he definitely hasn't when it comes to the beer plot because he's totally outside it. On an emotional level, he hasn't really been actively opposing Buffy. He's been just going about his life. Yes, he's reckless and careless about her feelings and that of any other young woman who becomes interested in him. But until Willow points it out, it's questionable if he even notices how hurt Buffy is. At least nothing in the text suggests it. And I suppose his indifference could make him an antagonist, but at best, he's a very weak antagonist. Maybe the antagonist on an emotional level is Buffy herself, that she has been blaming herself. She has been, first she is just not seeing the reality about Parker. She is clinging to these ideas about him and maybe having it work out. She's having these daydreams and then she blames herself. And now finally she reaches a point where she recognizes what's going on and is ready to get over him. So for the emotional subplot or through line, I think it is Buffy versus Buffy. But that doesn't help our main plot about the caveman. So what about Jack? He is the one who enchanted the beer. But he isn't actively opposing Buffy. He set this in motion and he too is indifferent. He he just isn't that worried about it. The cave guys don't oppose Buffy directly at all. At first they helped her. She was starting to get over Parker. They are in opposition to her in that they hurt Willow, but it's unclear why they did it. And the other problem is they also are victims here. Yeah, they chose to drink a lot of beer, but they didn't know it was going to turn them into cavemen. I guess maybe that could be the analogy. I certainly feel people are responsible if they drink to excess and behave recklessly. Obviously, I have personal reasons to be very clear that you are responsible for what you do. If you drive drunk, you are responsible. If you kill someone, if you hurt someone, you are responsible for everything you do. In terms of fictional characters, though, and this story, there is no way they could have foreseen that this was the result. All of us in our culture know that drinking impairs our motor skills. We know what it does when you drive drunk. There is no way these guys knew that alcohol was going to turn them into this. So that makes them, even if they more actively opposed Buffy, they would be very weak antagonists. So we're left with maybe beer as the antagonist, but again, beer by itself doesn't do anything. Essentially, I feel like we don't have an antagonist here. So maybe it's not surprising that our climax is not all that climactic, although I do enjoy parts of it a lot. So let's go back to it. Buffy is saying, or Parker is saying to Buffy, what can we do? She, though, looks at him and clubs him over the head and knocks him out. We cut to the commercial. And that basically is our climax. I do really enjoy seeing her do that. But we come back at 40 minutes, 10 seconds in. He's lying there on the floor. She takes his arm, but we don't see what she's going to do. So we just need to fill in the blanks and presume that in the next scene, when we switch to outside, that she got 
Parker out. But we don't see it happen. We just go to the following action. So in a way, that feels like a fake out as a climax, because at first we think she might have killed him. So it's interesting that our opening conflict was a fake out in a way with the daydream. And in a sense, this one is as well. But it leaves me feeling that there isn't exactly a climax because now Buffy and Willow are outside sitting on the ground. We don't see Parker. Buffy says, Buffy tired. Xander asks what they learned about beer. And Buffy says, foamy. And Xander says, good, just so long as that's clear. He also says the cave guys are locked in a car and that will give them time to ponder the geopolitical ramifications of being mean to me, which I really enjoy. Buffy goes to the SUV where the guys are locked in. They hoot. She puts her hand on the window. The main frat guy puts his hand on the window from the inside. Giles asks Xander, whose van is that? And Xander says, I don't know. It wasn't locked. Parker approaches Buffy and he says, I don't know how to say this. I'm sorry for how I treated you before and... I'm sorry. You were great tonight, really. I may not deserve this, but do you think you could forgive me? Buffy looks at him, then clubs him again and knocks him out. With what we know now about concussions, this is not as funny. But at the time, there was a lot less awareness of that. And there is definitely some emotional catharsis there. Buffy turns back to the cave guys in the van and Xander pulls her away. And that is the end of the episode. It has been pretty fun to break down this episode, though I rarely really enjoy re-watching it. I do have a few more things in foreshadowing in the spoiler section. I hope you will stay tuned for that. If not, thank you so much for listening and a special thank you to patrons who support the show. I hope you will all come back next Monday for Wild at Heart, where Oz gets out of his cage. And we are back for spoilers and foreshadowing. In This Year's Girl and Who Are You, the two faith body switching episodes, we see a somewhat similar use of that idea of practicing a line and then saying it in a genuine way, which we saw with Xander. Practicing more than once his rough day, want to tell me about it, and then he says it for real. And we'll see faith in Buffy's body trying out all these ways to say you shouldn't do that because it's wrong and then saying it to Spike in a totally different context but then at the end saying it and really meaning it and having it be genuine. So I thought that was interesting that we see that technique again. The most obvious foreshadowing here is the Willow-Oz-Veruca triangle. And I had not realized how much there was in this episode that leads us there, that Willow is already picking up on how Oz feels about Veruca, feeling uncomfortable about this difference between herself and Veruca. And I, I feel like the writers are doing this somewhat purposely. We get a lot of Willow being this sort of cute oh I can make you soup while Oz is staring at this young woman singing who there is this sexual attraction there even Willow's mental tidy comment I I feel like is almost to make her seem more nerdy and more dorky in comparison because we will see her next week in Wild at Heart so hurt when she says to Oz or asks him that he was attracted to Veruca in a very sexual, uh, maybe she says animal sort of way that he does not feel for her. I like Riley being the catalyst for Buffy finally getting what is happening with Parker. It sets up the two of them as a couple in a nicely subtle way. I don't know that he recognizes that she's hung up on Parker, but whether he does or not, he's he's kind, he jokes with her, and he recognizes when she really doesn't want to hear him going on about his life philosophy, unlike the frat guys who just love to hear themselves talk. So we have another contrast there, somewhat parallel situation, because she 
dumps Riley's beer. She dumps the frat guy's beer. They both kind of help her down this road and to feeling better, but behave differently. I had never noticed before that in this episode, Oz misses two psych classes. This underpins why in a later episode, Willoughby will be so distraught that Professor Walsh has already taken Oz off the student roster for the class when he leaves campus and Willow is thinking, no, he's going to come back. And Professor Walsh is really rude about it. But this gives a little more support for her doing that. I had forgotten that Oz already missed two psych classes. Obviously, non-college guy Xander, we're building on that theme of Xander feeling like he doesn't fit in his friends' lives, of feeling that he is on this different path, and people making him feel inferior for that. The difficulty I have with this through line for the season is it still feels like when we get to the end of the season... It feels like false conflict to me because while we see these frat guys being this way, we have not seen Xander's friends treating him like that. I'm going to be really interested to see if if that feels more justified now that I am looking so closely at all of this. So that is it at last for Beer Bad. Thank you so much for listening. Next Monday, we have Wild at Heart. You can listen to back episodes of Buffy and the Art of Story at lisalilly.com. Music for this episode was written and performed by Robert Newcastle. Buffy and the Art of Story is a production of Spiny Woman, LLC, copyright 2021. All rights reserved.